Well, folks, you may not have a uh, strong uh, creative spirit, but you can get one by, by grabbing and interrogating and transforming. I explained to you yesterday, those are the uh, three disciplines of creativity. If I was speaking to any creatives, I would say, this is what you do. Grab anything that grabs you. When a thought comes in your mind, if it grabs you emotionally, you grab it back. You write it down. You make sure you don't lose it. Then you interrogate it. You ask it questions. You experience this wonderful aha moment when the, I, the thought that you grab becomes an idea that you can then transform into whatever it's supposed to be. Three disciplines of creativity. Also, uh, however, if we take that same process and we, uh, through the prayerfully asking the Holy Spirit to help us discern thoughts that God is putting into our minds, and we grab those, and we interrogate those, and we transform those, that process becomes not only a creative discipline, but a spiritual uh, discipline. So I'm hoping that you might um, be able to remember this, these words, these three forever when you leave here. So I'll say G, I'll say G is for, and you say grab, and so on. So G is for, grab. I is for, T is for, I'm just concerned that maybe that won't be enough. So uh, when I used to, to uh, uh, entertain elementary school kids, or if I was teaching them something, I would do this. We're going to put hand motions to this, okay? So I'll say G is for, and you say grab. And I'll say I is for, and you say interrogate, huh? <laughs> getting in someone's face. And T is for, uh, yeah, transform, okay? <laughs> so, so G is for grab, I is for interrogate, T is for transform, or that. That was nice, too. That was a nice movement, too, yeah. The spiritual, uh, three uh, spiritual disciplines, grabbing, interrogating, and uh, transforming. Um, I, I stumbled upon, uh, oh, by the way, my wife said to me last night as we were talking about Thing about what I had been presenting, Judy said to me, you know, you really haven't offered a, you, you've been showing examples of your own creativity, but you haven't talked about how maybe you've transformed this, this, some of these things spiritually. So this is a great opportunity for, for me because it gives me an, uh, an opportunity to do an advertisement for you as well. Uh, it, but this was the process for me, grabbing this, grabbing a thought from God, this is moving me. I'm feeling led to do something and transforming it into something. I have a, a show that I actually, a one-man show, not only Triple Espresso, but I have a one-man show that I wrote 10 years ago called That Wonder Boy, and I've performed it in five or six cities, and it's been very successful uh, in one of those cities, which was New York, uh, not in a long run, but in, in winning some awards and stuff. It was really quite thrilling because I'd never won anything in my life except my second place uh, at seven years old in the Cactus Kid Accordion Studio. I did, I did win that award. But other than that, I'd never won anything in my life. So it was really quite exciting. But it's difficult. I want you to know that theater is a, a really, really difficult business. Uh, when we wrote Triple Espresso, it took off in weeks. It just took off. It was the right time, the right place. It just took off all by itself. And I thought, well, this is easy. My goodness, I, I could do this all the rest of my life. This is simple. You know, I can, I can write stuff better than that. Well, I found out it, it wasn't so easy, and it's terribly expensive. And the problem is, and I'll explain this real quickly, 
to start a theater show, the idea is you go into a, you, you rent a theater for five or six weeks, and you go in there, and you have to pay for everything that's there, and the only way that you make any money is if buy, people buy tickets. So if they buy tickets, great, but if they don't buy tickets, all that money that you spent, and there are lots of expenses that you wouldn't even imagine would be there, but they're there, um, all that money that you spent, it is gone. So as they say in theater, the saying is you cannot make a living in theater, but sometimes you can make a killing. And that's sort of what happened with, with Triple Espresso. We did very, very well very quickly. But with that Wonder Boy, it's been hard for me to get it started. And, and it is, this show is my heart because it's really my story. And there's a lot of the kinds of stuff that we've been dealing with this weekend. There's a lot of spiritual God stuff in this show without it, being, without it sounding like um, something from the Christian network. So uh, I, I found myself going, I want to do this. I want to do it, but I can't. I can't spend a quarter of a million dollars to rent a place for six weeks. I can't, I can't do that. Uh, it's just too risky, and I don't have the money even if I wanted to do it. So um, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and this thought came into my head strongly. You need to just give it away. And the problem with that is if I give you all tickets, you won't come because they're free. I mean, that's just the reality. If you just say anybody, it's all free. It's just free. Come. Nobody comes. I've, I've, I've found that out because it has no value to people. So you can't just give things away. But, but I could give it away f to somebody for a purpose, and then they could sell tickets. And so I said, well, where would that be, God? And Judy and I have been praying for a little girl, uh, Olivia Beekman. She's three and a half. She has um, neuroblastoma, child bone cancer, and, and we've been praying and praying and praying for, for uh, eight or nine months now for her, and I thought, well, maybe we could do that. So I, I offered it to my church. I said, could we do a, a fundraiser? Just, it won't cost anything. I'll come and do it, and you can sell tickets. And we raised $20,000. Well, that was so thrilling that we just gave that $20,000 to that family that's desperate uh, for, well, in many ways, but certainly for, for the money. And then I started thinking, well, where could I do it next? Uh, Sarah Gross, are any of you familiar with Sarah Gross? She and her husband Troy have a place called the Art House in North St. Paul, or S South St. Paul, a beautiful little church that they renovated into a little theater space there. And they're trying to do good art, to create good art there. So I said, what if I did it here for a few nights? And then you, you could have the money to support your ministry here. And they said that would be great. So I'm doing that. that that's an advertisement. I'm doing it on uh, March uh, 12th, 13th, and 14th, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night there. It's called That Wonder Boy. If you're interested, you can go to thatwonderboy.com, or you can go to my website, and it's on the front page. There's a button for, for tickets there. I would love to see you. You would love the, the show. That process for me, though, was this strong feeling, give it away. Give it away? I, I, can't, I can't give it away, God. I have to make a, a living um, I have to, you know, I, I can't take weeks out of my life like this to, in this case, only a week, but to give it away, God said, you need to give this away. Well, then I have to talk to Judy and I have to say, this is a thought that I'm feeling strongly. Um, what do you think about this? That's another wonderful th way in a marriage to not just do it on, on your own, but to say to your partner, this is what I'm discerning. I'm presenting this thought to you. What do you discern here? And she went, yeah, we need to give it away. So that's what we're doing. And it's, um, I, that doesn't mean always. Uh, that doesn't mean always for the rest of my life. But it means for now or it means maybe for the next one or the next one after that. We'll see. But that's the process uh, that I grabbed. 
grabbed the thought, interrogated that, and transformed it now into one fundraiser, and now uh, three more coming up um, in March. So love to see you there. Um, I stumbled upon another spiritual discipline. I'll share this with you. I found this very helpful in my own creativity, but also in my own spiritual life, and that is um, the importance of observation in terms of waking up, to actually observe things, to actually intentionally ob- observe things. Now, you might think, well, I, that's, I, can, I can do that. I was surprised. I was sitting on my couch with a Gatorade bottle, and I was drinking Gatorade, and I was watching the news. And I finished the Gatorade, uh, and as I was watching the news, I noticed that the news, the screen was shining through the Gatorade bottle at one place, and it was making beautiful colors. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Look at those, look at that, look at the colors there. And I turned it like this, I looked into the top of the bottle and I could see this star shape on on the bottom and it was kind of like a kaleidoscope of of colors. I couldn't identify any faces or any any text, but I could see this beautiful pattern in the bottom of it. And I thought, isn't that, look how beautiful that is. And then as I turned the bottle over, it occurred to me, this is crazy, but it occurred to me I have never looked at a Gatorade bottle in my life. Isn't that crazy? And I have, I have, I don't know, hundreds at least, if not thousands of, of bottled things like this. I realized I had never actually looked at it or observed it closely. So I started doing that. I started kind of looked at the shape of the bottle. It has an actual shape. A designer designed that. That was a big deal. He or she was excited when they went, look how sturdy that thing is. Look at the side. Look how much it holds. It's perfect. And the color of the cap and the texture on the cap and the star on the bottom and underneath the wrapping, I could feel some, something bumpy in there. I took off part of the wrapping and there was a little, that little, uh, do you know what the logo is for Gatorade? Do you know what, it, anybody know? Lightning bolt, yeah, I didn't know. There's a little lightning bolt. Underneath. It was a little lightning bolt. Well, look at there, there's a lightning bolt. I mean, this was somebody, somebody took this, this to their mom and said, hey, mom, there's my first design, or that's my design, check it out. And she said, oh, wonderful, good for you. But I had never looked at it before. And then I started actually reading the label, and, it, it, and I started reading the ingredients in the label and so on. And down at the bottom, it said, five-cent deposit in Maine, California, and somewhere else. Pardon, what's that? Iowa. Uh, Iowa. Okay, well, you know. <laughs> it's a very observant man right here. <laughs> yeah, in Iowa. Now, does that mean if I turn the bo- bottle in, I get, a dep- I get five cents back? Well, I figured that's what, what that meant. Well, that, right away, as soon as I read that, my mind just, it went to a completely different place. I'm, I'm five, six years old. I'm walking down a what would be a dusty dirt road, but it's not a dusty dirt road because you know what they did? They dumped oil on that dirt road to keep the dust down in the summertime. And it was so it would get dark brown, almost a black color. Oil must have been pretty cheap back in those days because they dumped it on the roads to keep the dust down. And my three, my two cousins and I, I can see the way we're dressed. We both got dirty white t-shirts on. Our faces are dirty. We're walking down this dirt road to go about maybe three quarters of a mile down to a general store in this tiny little town. It's not even a town. It's just a place. And we're going <laughs> to, excuse me, go down to this general store. 
And so uh, we didn't have any money, but we're going to go down there to get a popsicle, or in my case, a, a stick of pepperoni. I just love pepperoni. They didn't have Slim Jims, but they had pepperoni. So we're walking down there, and, but we're not concerned about the money because we know by the time we walk that three-quarters of a mile, we'll have the money that we need because we would just collect garbage alongside the road, this beautiful country road. Because in those days, people used to throw garbage out the windows of their car. If they had something in their car and they didn't want it, they would just... That's almost unthinkable these days, isn't it? But that's what they used to do. It used to tick my dad off. We'd be driving down the road, and all this garbage would come flying out of the car. And, oh, that makes me angry. It makes it so messy around here. We loved it because we would just pick up bottles along the way. We'd get to the general store, turn them in, get our money, buy a popsicle or a piece of pepperoni, and then head back. And I could see us clearly. My, my older cousin, who was actually smaller than me, four years older, but he was smaller than me, he used to get a mail bag at the general store. It was also a post office. And he'd walk about 100 yards to the railroad tracks, and he would hang it up on this contraption, and then we would back off, or we put pennies on the track first, but we'd back off because we could hear it coming. And, it would, and the, tra the train would come down the road, and that contraption, and something would come out of the train and take the mailbag, and it would just shoot on through. It wouldn't slow down. It would just shoot on through. And then he would, he would hook it back up, and we'd walk back down and get a couple other a dollar or something, half 50 cents or something for, for his work. All this came into my mind. It was just so clear. All these thoughts that were grabbing me emotionally just from the process of observing something closely. What if we were able to do that with Scripture? What if we were able to look at Scripture and observe it the way that I observed that Gatorade bottle? What thoughts would come into our minds? What might we grab from that? What might we end up transforming? What might happen in our lives as a result of that? People have done this for um, a couple centuries now. Uh, they have, through a spiritual discipline of repetitive reading, uh, and you can still, I mean, you can do this today, just take one text and read it for a month. Just read it, just that text, read that for a, for a month. See what God does through that text. So I want to hold a text up to you today. This is John chapter 11. I'm actually going to read this to you. I'm going to do something a speaker would hardly ever do, and that is read, a, read almost a whole chapter here. So just stay with me as I do this, okay? Just listen to the words. This, we're going to start to, to enter into the story now. Um, and the first part in entering into the story is just to listen to it, hear the words, okay? This is John chapter 11. Now there was a man by the name of Lazarus who became seriously ill. He lived in Bethany, the village where Mary and her sister Martha lived. Lazarus was the brother of Mary who poured perfume upon the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, your, your friend is very ill. When Jesus received the message, he said, This illness is not meant to end in death. It is going to bring glory to God, for it will show the glory of the Son of God. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard of Lazarus' illness, he stayed where he was two days longer. Only then did he say to his disciples, Let us go back into Judea. Master returned to the disciples, only a few days ago the Jews were trying to stone you to death. Are you going there again? There are 12 hours of daylight every day, are there not, replied Jesus. If a man walks in the daytime, he does not stumble, for he has the daylight to see by. But if he walks at night, he stumbles because he cannot see where he's going. Jesus spoke these words, and after a pause, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. At this, his disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be all right. 
Actually, Jesus has spoken about his death, but they thought that he was speaking about falling into natural sleep. This made Jesus tell them quite plainly, Lazarus has died, and I am glad that I was not there for your sakes, that you may learn to believe. And now let's, let us go to him. Thomas, known as the twin, then said to his fellow disciples, come on then, let's go and die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the grave four days. Now, Bethany is quite near Jerusalem, rather less than two miles away, and a good many of the Jews had come out to see Martha and Mary to offer them sympathy over their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was on his way, she went out and met him while Mary stayed in the house. If only you had been here, Lord, said Martha, my brother would never have died, and I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask from him. Your brother will rise again, Jesus replied to her. I know, said Martha, that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I myself am the resurrection and the life, Jesus told her. The man who believes in me will live even though he dies. And anyone who is alive and believes in me will never die at all. Can you believe that? Yes, Lord, replied Martha. I do believe that you are Christ, the Son of God, the one who is to come into the world. Saying this, she went away and called Mary, her sister whispering, the master's here and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she sprang to her feet and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet arrived at the village itself, but was still where Martha had met him. So when the Jews who had been condoling with Mary in the house saw her get up and quickly go out, they followed her, imagining that she was going to the grave to weep there. When Mary met Jesus, she looked at him and then fell down at his feet. If only you had been here, Lord, she said, my brother would never have died. When Jesus saw Mary weep and noticed the tears of the Jews who came with her, he was deeply moved and visibly distressed. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, come and see, they replied. And at this, Jesus himself wept. Look how much he loved him, remarked the Jews. Though some of them asked, could he not have kept this man from dying if he could open that blind man's eyes? Jesus was again deeply moved at these words and went on to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay in front of it. Take away the stone, said Jesus. But Lord, said Mar Martha, the dead man's sister, he's been dead four days. By this time, he'll be decaying. Did I not tell you, replied Jesus, that if you believed, you would see the wonder of what God can do? Then they took the stone away, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of these people standing here, so that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with grave clothes, and his face muffled with a handkerchief. Now unbind him, Jesus told them, and let him go home. I had heard this story from the time I was a little boy because I was fortunate enough to be raised in a church. And I had heard this story many times. It's a pretty, pretty interesting story. I, saw, I can see in my mind uh, Sunday school pictures of Lazarus coming out of the, out of the tomb. Um, and I, I'm thankful for, for that, but I would also say that being a kid who was raised in the church and being familiar with stories, that can be a difficulty because you read a story or you're reading through your, your, the scriptures and you come to a story and you almost feel like going, I think I'll skip over this. I remember this. I, I know this already. I, 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 I know exactly what this story is about. I know what's going to happen. Or we're reading about James and John. James and John, they're out fishing in the boat and Jesus comes up and says, James and John, drop your nets and follow me. Yep, every time I read that story, they drop their nets and follow Jesus. Because yeah. <laughs> we know that's, that's the way it's going to end. But, but the problem is there is that we're not taking the time to think what that been, must have been like for, for James and John. 
to enter into the story, and we'll talk about this tomorrow morning a bit more, but to enter into the story, you have to invest yourself a little bit. You have to imagine, all right, what if I was James and John? How would I feel if this stranger said, drop your nets? Would I follow him or, or would I not? I mean, think about this. James and John were fishermen. Their father was a fisherman. Their grandfather was, was probably a fisherman. Their great-grandfather, probably a fisherman. That's the way it happened. And now, Scripture says, in that Scripture, it says that James and John are out fishing with their father, whose name was Zebedee. They're out fishing with Zebedee, and he's an old man. He's not fishing much anymore. Uh, but he's so thankful that he has James and John because they're like, they're like his retirement plan. They're like his insurance policy. Well, he can't fish. He's just sitting in the boat with them. This is what Scripture says. He's sitting in the boat with them, James and John and their father Zebedee. Zebedee's not fit. He's just going, you know, throw it over there. Try this. <laughs> but he's sitting in the boat, and this stranger, at least certainly to Zebedee, if not James and John, this stranger comes up and says, James and John, follow me. And, they, and the scripture says, listen to this, they left old Zebedee sitting in the boat. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's what, that phrase is so wonderful. They left old Zebedee sitting in the boat. What, what am I going to tell my wife? What, because what, what's he going to do now? If they're following him, his Zebedee's whole life changes. The, everything changes. That must have been, that must have been a, even though they jump up and follow Jesus, must have been a tough decision for them to do, and certainly lots of consequences. So it's important when we read scriptures, to, to, when we read the scriptures, we read these stories to allow ourselves to enter into it in our imaginations and to, to try to imagine what is really going on here. Uh, it's also important to look at the context of a story. This story of uh, uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead in John 11, it begins in John 10. In John 11, we, are, we hear that Mary and Martha send Jesus a message. Uh, and the, the message says, you're, by the way, Mary and Martha, you remember who they were? They were the two sisters. They lived, and I think Lazarus probably lived with them, although I'm not certain of that. They lived together, Mary and Martha did. Probably Lazarus lived there. They were very, very close friends of Jesus and the disciples. Jesus loved them. We're told that several times. He loved these people. Undoubtedly spent some time with them. Probably stayed with them. They, uh, Lazarus gets really sick. In fact, he's so sick that, that he, he, they're really concerned. So one of the sisters um, sends a message to Jesus. I'm guessing it was Martha. And the reason I guess that is there's an, only one other story written about Mary and Martha, and that's the one where Martha had invited Jesus over after Sunday service, and she realized that to, to have the meal ready, she would have to leave before the sermon. So she told Mary, I'm going to leave before the sermon, but then you bring Jesus over after he, he says goodbye at the, to people at the door, and then we'll have a nice meal together. I'm going to make, I'm going to make mom's barbecue, but I'm going to have a wooden bowl here. If you would just slice and dice and toss and oil the salad in the wooden bowl, there, that's great, and we'll be all set. And sure enough, she left early. She got the meal going, the smell. When Mary and Martha, she heard them come in the door. There's a dinger on the door. She heard them come in, and, um, and, and she thought, oh, great. It's just it's right on time. Everything's going to work out. And she's waiting for Mary to come in and slice and dice and toss in the oil in the wooden bowl, but she's not coming in. And every once in a while, she'd go by the door, and she'd just push it a little bit, and, and she's not coming. She's not, and finally, and she looks in there, and she realizes, and this really ticked her off, Mary, Martha realized that, that Mary, do you know what she's doing? She, do you know what she and Jesus are doing? They're talking. 
And, and at one point, she just bursts through the door, and she says, Jesus, excuse me, but if you want to eat, then you're going to have to tell her to come help me because she's supposed to be slicing and dicing and tossing oil in, in the wood, and we're not going to eat. If and Jesus said, this is great. I want to read this to you because she's, he says, Martha, Martha, relax, honey. This is a very loose translation that I have right <laughs> He says, Mary has realized what's important here. One of, these, one of these sisters sends a message to, and I was just thinking about this this morning. She probably didn't write it. I'm, I'm guessing that she m maybe wouldn't have been one who writes, but I would have to ask somebody who knows a little bit more about that to be certain. But let's say she wrote it, okay? Uh, and she sent this message with a messenger to, I'm guessing it was Martha who sent that. I'm just guessing it was Martha who sent that message. Uh, but, but Jesus doesn't receive it in John chapter 11. Jesus receives it. Here's the context now. Jesus receives it in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, they had been, um, just previous, they had, the disciples and Jesus had been in Jerusalem and Judea. And he had been speaking to a lot of people, some of whom were religious leaders. And he had spoken the truth about God. And when he did that, it made them so angry that they picked up stones to stone Jesus. In fact, a few of those stones may have even flown. The disciples could, could remember those stones flying over their head. And they, they were going to kill him. Important lesson there, perhaps, huh? Whenever we stand up for God's truth in the world, people will love you in this room. But out there, if you stand up for God's truth, there are people who are going to hate you who will want to stone you for that. This is what, what happened to Jesus. Now, he didn't get stoned, as we know. None of them actually, actually, no stones hit them, although it was a close call. Uh, in, one, in one translation, it says, they picked up stones to, to stone them, but, but they slipped through their midst. Again, in terms of, of th thoughts that come through your head, things that grab you. Sometimes things just jump out to you. I can't read that they slip through their midst without going, well, what, what exactly does that mean? They slipped through. How do you, how do you, people are going to stone you. How do you slip through their midst, you know? I mean, it could have been a Star Trekian kind of thing where Jesus said to the guys, hold hands here, and then, and they disappeared. That's slipping. Now, but here, this is interesting. I know that didn't happen. I know that didn't happen. You know why? Because if it had, it would be recorded specifically that way. It would say something like, it was as, as if snowflakes fell through translucent bodies, and then they were no more. Something like that. They slipped through their midst. They, they got away. And, and then Jesus receives this message. It is, is in chapter 11, right at the beginning. Jesus receives this message. And it says, it's from Mary and Martha, and it says, Lord, your friend, our brother, who you love, underlined, is really, really sick. In fact, he's so sick, we're concerned he may not make it. Please, it's so important that you come quickly. Please come quickly. Listen to this. This grabbed me, jumped out at me. It's like, isn't that interesting? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard of Lazarus' illness, he stayed where he was two days longer. Well, that's a pretty sensitive thing to do, don't you think? <laughs> oh, look, he's going to die. I think I'll hang out here a few more days. 
Only then does he say to his disciples, let us go back into Judea. Judea is where just a few days ago they were almost stoned to death. So you can bet, because this is vivid in the minds of these disciples, you can bet when, when he said, let's go back into Judea, that there was, a, there, there was some eye contact in this circle of, of, of disciples. And one of the disciples, we don't know which one, we're not told, but I'd bet about a year's pay it was Peter. One of these disciples spoke up. He said, well, Lord, um, uh, that's an interesting idea, Uh, but I know that I I speak for... uh, all of us here, uh, we were just thinking, cons- considering the, the danger in uh, <laughs> Judea, that maybe it would be a, a good idea if we, that if we hung out here a few, a few days longer. Jesus said, there are 12 hours of daylight, are there not? Yes, if a man walks in the daylight, he doesn't stumble because he has the light to see by. But if he walks at night, he has no light. Uh, he, he may fall down. Yeah. Well, th- thank you, Lord, for that <laughs> fascinating uh, lesson on darkness and light. But if we, if we could just get back to the to the whole idea of the of the of Judea, just for for a moment. Uh, no, no, you don't understand, guys. Um, Lazarus has fallen asleep, so we're going to go wake him up. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, Lord, I, I, again, I know I speak on behalf of the whole group here. Uh, in fact, it was John's idea. But <laughs> when, if Lazarus has fallen asleep, Considering the danger, I, I, we think it would be a good idea if we just let him wake up all by himself. <laughs> Jesus said, no, no, you don't understand. I don't mean he's fallen asleep. I mean, Lazarus has died. And I'm, I'm glad this has happened because now you guys, you're going to learn how great God is. And listen to this. I love this line because um, it, it, it stands out to me if, if only for the fact that it's one of the only lines in all of Scripture that Thomas says. If, if you're in a play called the Bible, this would be a really, really uh, good part to get because you're a famous character, but you only have like six lines to, to memorize in the whole play. Thomas says, come on then, let us go and die with him. I would love to know how he said that line. I know he didn't say it like that. I know because he's known as Thomas the twin. If he said it like, because either he was a twin or he looked like people. I don't know. But, But he's known as Thomas the twin. He would not be known as Thomas the twin if he said lines like that. He would be known as Thomas the boring. But that's how we read it sometimes. When we're reading scripture, we just, these, are, these people are not alive. We're just reading words. We're not allowing ourselves to imagine what, how they might have said something, what they must have been feeling. He might have said... Come on, then. Go die with him, you know. He might have said, I don't know. You don't know either because we're not told. But knowing what we know about the doubting Thomas, right, 
I would not be surprised if, if Thomas said, come on then, let's go die with them. Yeah. <laughs> Off they go. They don't even get to the village before one of the sisters comes running out to meet Jesus. Which sister might you think? <laughs> Martha comes running out. She falls at his feet and she says, Lord, uh, if only you had been here, my brother would never have died. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. He says, I, myself, am the resurrection of the life. Can you believe that, Martha? Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I believe it. And then she goes off, and she gets uh, Mary, and, and she says, Jesus is here. Mary apparently hadn't heard that. And she gets up, and she runs out. And listen to this. Listen to what Mar Mary does. When Mary met Jesus, she looked at him and then fell down at his feet if only you had been here, Lord, she said, my brother would never have died. Same words. Same words that Martha said. Same action. She fell down at his feet, just like Martha did. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Did I get that? Let's make sure I had that right. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Martha didn't fall down at his feet. Mary fell down at his feet, but Martha didn't fall down. Mary did, though. She fell at his feet. Said the same words, but she fell at his feet. Quite a different action. And perhaps when she said, if only you had been here, Lord, I, I know. My, oh, I wish you could have been here. I wish you could have been here. Where Martha was probably saying in her spirit, where have you been? That messenger said he put it right in your hand oh, almost a week ago. Why weren't you here? Mary said the very same words, expressed a completely different thing. When, Mary, uh, when Jesus saw Mary weep and noticed the tears of the Jews who came with her, he was deeply moved and visibly distressed. Uh, he, he wept. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, come and see. And they took Jesus to the dead man. Don't you think Jesus could have found that dead man all by himself? Almost certainly he could have found. Bethany is a very little place. It's a little place. Jesus had been there many times. If Jesus was just a man like me, he had probably heard Lazarus as they walked through the town, this little town, Lazarus say, yep, I'll be laying there right by my mom and dad sometime. He, he almost certainly, even a man would have known where it was. Furthermore, in that culture, as some of you know, in that culture, when somebody dies, everyone knows about it. Everyone knows where that dead man is because they, there's weeping and moaning and wailing that we don't often experience in this country. In fact, it's paid for. It's bought. They hire weepers and moaners and wailers. They would have heard the weep. He could have easily heard the weeping one and, and just followed that, just listened, followed it right to the place. But as God, the God part of him would have known that anyway. He's, he knows exactly what's going to happen here. He knows what's going to happen. And, uh, but, but he said, where have you laid him? And, and they took Jesus to the dead man. Now get the scene here. It's a cave. I've not been there myself. I've seen pictures of, you know, how many of you have been to Israel before? Yeah, you know, it's so, it's a fascinating thing. If you get the opportunity, you, you should do it. It's, a, it's so interesting. I thought, well, I don't need to go to Israel. I, I'm fine. It's really something to see it. And there are places like this where, peop, where people go, you know, this is where folks come to see this historic site from the Bible, but 
It's not really it, but it's, it's similar to what it would be. And then there are other places where it's, uh, this is the tradition that it's here, that it happened here. It almost certainly happened here. And I think that this, uh, this is one of those kinds of places. Uh, it was, it was a, a tomb and a stone lay in front of it. Not a big area, not a big expansive area. But there was a multitude of people there. Everywhere Jesus went, by the way, at this point in his ministry, this is the height of his careers, quote. This is the height of his popularity right now, right now. And everywhere Jesus went, there was a multitude of people who followed him. So they're following him, plus there are people already there for the, for the weeping and moaning and wailing, so they're there. There's a big group of people jammed in around this tomb. And Jesus says, roll away the stone. Why did Jesus say, roll away the stone? Well, it's, it's, it's clear, isn't it? I mean, if Jesus didn't say, oh, this is interesting. When he says, roll away the stone, not Mary. Mary didn't question him. But the other sister, Martha, questioned him. She said, but Lord, it's been four days. King James Version, it's wonderful. It says, but Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> which is, which would, would have been the fact, especially in that climate there. So, do we, Lord, do we have to do this? Please, do we have to, to, to do this? Jesus says, roll, roll it away. Did, didn't I tell you if you believed, you'd see the wonder of what God can do? Why did they roll that stone away? If they didn't roll that stone away... Lazarus isn't going to be able to hear Jesus' words and, and re respond. I actually shared this years ago at a, for, for some junior high kids, and I had a junior higher come up to me at lunch. No kidding. It was just like this. He said, I was wondering if I could talk to you for a second about your talk this morning. I said, well, well sure. I said, sit down. He goes, yeah, well, you know that part you said about how that they, that they had to roll the stone away so that Lazarus could hear Jesus' voice? I said, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's true. I said, well, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, because way back then, they wouldn't have, the stone probably wasn't real tight. They wouldn't have been able to make it real like there's a real tight seal or any, anything, and so there would be little cracks and stuff, and so Jesus would be able to say, Lazarus, come out, and, and it, would, it would get through, the, and I think Lazarus would be able to, to hear it and come to life. Well, that's a great deal, isn't it? So he's going to come to life. He's going to bop himself to death again three, two, two times in one week. You know. No, Jesus said, roll away the stone. Roll away the stone so he can hear my voice and, and respond. And they roll the stone away. And boy, you can bet in that crowd. Can you, honestly, folks, can you even imagine? Imagine yourself there. Imagine if it happened here. The, they roll the stone. This is highly unusual. And people are, people are looking like, what's going to happen? And the place is just quiet. And then Jesus, Jesus does something interesting, something he hardly ever did anywhere else in Scripture. He kind of gives an info prayer. He looks up and, and, and raises his hands like this, and he speaks out loud praying so that usually Jesus went off into quiet places when he prayed it's real we're told this over and over again he went to a he's always going to a quiet place why so that he could pray and talk to God not today he does an info prayer he prays out loud so everybody can hear me he says Lord I know you hear me I know you always hear me but I am praying out loud right now this is what he said I am praying out loud right now so that this whole group may believe how great you are 
Well, he's got them. I mean, he's got them. They're just looking like this. And then he says, Lazarus, come on out. And the dead man came out. How did the dead man? And the dead man came out. How, how did the dead man come out here? Yeah. No, the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with grave clothes, and his face muffled with a handkerchief. What's that sound like to you? A mummy. The dead man came out like this. He can't see where he's going. Boom, he's bouncing into things. And you can bet there was big-time response in the crowd right at that moment. There were probably some people in the front who went, ha, ah, and took off. There were probably some who passed out. You can almost count on it. And you can bet there were many who fell right upon their faces and started worshiping Jesus. What a great story. What a great story. But it's not done. Because then Jesus says, now unbind him and let him go home. Can you imagine? Now unbind him, let him go home. <laughs> Going up there and unhooking and unwrapping. This, just praying it's the right guy. <laughs> can, can you imagine that? What a... What a great story. I think we find here, by the way, the reason this story is in Scripture, theologians or biblical scholars will tell us, the reason it's there, the primary purpose for this in Scripture is to show God's power, Christ's power, God's power over death. That's why it's there. That's the primary purpose, and it's important to know that. But when we look at any story in Scripture and we observe it carefully, when we hold it up like the gator bottle and we observe it carefully, things jump out. What I've, things I've just shared with you are things that jumped out to me. And in the process of saying, well, what does this mean? What, I, I can't help but notice some things. Now, I'm, I'm sure that biblical scholars would say, no, 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 Bob, that, that's not why that. What you notice in there is not why it's. And I get that. I totally get that, but I can't help notice some things. And I notice what I think is a model for ministry. If you're wondering what God is calling you to do in your life in ministry, I believe that, that this is it. Here's the model. Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And they took Jesus to the dead man. All my life I've heard so-and-so led me to Christ. So-and-so led, led that person to Christ. This is sort of the opposite. So-and-so led, led Jesus to me, to a spiritually dead person, a person who does not know. That's, a, that's what spiritually dead means, by the way, not knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, not having that relationship I talked about yesterday. That's what spiritual death is. You're not alive yet until you begin that relationship. Jesus says to you and me, do you know spiritually dead people in your lives? You certainly do. Jesus says, in fact, even when I ask you that question, I'll bet some people's minds, some people in particular are going through your very mind, your very mind. Jesus says, take me to them. Take me, take me, Jesus. Take me to those spiritual dead people, the people you're thinking of right now. Then Jesus says, roll away the stone. He had to roll away the stone so that Lazarus could hear his his voice. When you take Jesus to spiritually dead people, 
you'll find it's not always very easy. And you often, when you share your faith with spiritually dead people, you'll often find they don't get it at all. They can't understand at all. They may not reject you. They may reject you. They may not reject you. It's, well, that's just who you are, but <laughs> I don't get this. At all. They don't get it at all. Why? Because there are stones in the way. All kinds of stones. There's anger. There's bitterness. Um, there's, uh, well, here, here's a, a, probably the, the largest stone in the world is uh, poverty. You try, to, you try to take Jesus to a, to a child or a family in um, a third world country where they don't have enough food to eat or, or clean water to drink and where they're sick all the time because of this stuff that they're, that they're uh, ingesting. When you take Jesus to those people, they often cannot hear your words. Your words don't mean anything to them until you roll away the stone of poverty. You roll that stone away and people become healthy because they have good water now or they have food. They're being taken care of. They have a roof over their head. When that happens and those things are removed, that's like rolling the stone of poverty away. Then they can hear Jesus speaking to them. That's probably the biggest stone in the world. You know what the heaviest stone in the world is? I think probably the toughest stone to move. It's affluence. You take Jesus to people who have everything that the world has to offer them. They don't feel the need. They don't feel the need. How do you roll that stone? You may say, I, I, I don't know how to roll a stone. That, I can't roll that stone away. How can I do that? Here's the great thing. In taking G people, uh, Jesus to dead people and rolling away the stones and in, the, in, in unwrapping, which is coming up, Jesus gives us gifts, all of us gifts. So to be able to begin this interrogation process, this thought goes through your head, could I have a gift? Where do my gifts lie? Are they in taking you to dead people, Jesus? If so, put that thought in my head. Let me interrogate it. Let me work on that. I'm willing to accept that gift. Are they in rolling away stones? You know who people are roll, who can roll away stones are? They're people who have a gift for prayer. There are people who have a gift for really deep friendship. If you are a faithful, faithful friend, there's a good chance that you are somebody who should be rolling away stones. Then, Jesus speaks the words to give people spiritual life, right? That's wonderful. We don't have that responsibility. That's not on us. We can't even do that. You can't give spiritual life to anybody. But you can take Jesus to them. You can roll away stones. Jesus speaks the words to their heart to give them spiritual life. But our job's not done. Then he says, now unbind him so he can go home. We all find ourselves as believers in Christ. We have an enemy in this world who wants to bind us up continually. And as we compromise in any way, as we give in to that enemy, we find ourselves getting bound up again. And when our, when our legs are bound up in grave clothes, we can't walk toward Jesus. And that's when it's the job of us as brothers and sisters, when we see a person falling in sin, it's our job to unbind them, to say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. What's going on here in your life? Because I don't think this is good for you. Now, some of us might go, hey, who am I to judge? I don't want to get into judge. I'm not talking about judging people. I'm talking about loving people. Because when people get bound up, even our brothers and sisters, they get bound up in sin, it ruins their life. So the loving thing is to say, how can I help you unbind this? How can I work with you on this? Can I, how can I pray for you?
What a great model for ministry. And God gives us gifts in each of these areas. He says, take me to dead people. He says, roll away stones. He says, now, and he says, unbind. Do these with me, okay? So we're going to do this. We'll go, take me to dead people. We'll go to that direction. Roll away stones and unbind. Okay, here we go, everyone. Take me to dead people. Roll away stones. Unbind. One more time by yourself. Okay, let's pray. God, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you for this group. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is so evident in this room, speaking to our hearts. Thank you for your word. I'll bless our conversation now. Speak to our, through our thoughts and our feelings and our heart. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. Pray in your name. Amen.